You're listening to a message from Micaiah Ermler, lead pastor of Southridge Church in San Jose, California. This week's awesome message will start in a few seconds. But first, we hope you will stay connected with Southridge by liking us on Facebook or by following us on Instagram and Twitter. Search for the handle at Southridge Now and click the follow button so you can receive uplifting, encouraging content right in your feed. Thanks again for listening. And now, here is Pastor Micaiah. Southridge, whether you're joining his online or in person, we want to welcome you this afternoon. As we continue our worship this afternoon, I want to read from Nehemiah chapter number 9, verses 5 to 6. It says here, Stand up and praise the Lord your God, who is from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name, and may it be exalted above all blessing and praise. You alone are the Lord. You made the heavens, even the highest heavens, and all their starry hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to everything, and the multitudes of heaven worship you. Let's come to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that your love came running after me, came running after all of us, that your goodness and your mercy, it pursues us, it chases us down, it rescues us, it revives us and restores us. And God, we're not worthy, but yet you sent your son Jesus and Jesus shed his blood for us and made us clean and washed. And God, we gather in your presence this afternoon and we pray that you would speak to us. We pray that you would Bind up the burdens. We pray that you would wash us. Wash away the guilt and the sin. Make us clean and renewed and restored. Thank you for your love. We pray your blessing on this service. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. Welcome to Southridge. I'm excited that you're here this afternoon. Uh, I know it's a different afternoon service in the sense of it kind of feels a little bit different, but I'm so glad that you are here. Welcome. I hope you had a great week. We are in full swing in the Christmas mode, and what I love about being able to borrow Calvary's building is we get to enjoy some beautiful decorations, and none of us had to do any work and set it up. I just think that's amazing. It just looks beautiful in here. Can we just like just take a minute and just like, this is nice. It's really nice. This is beautiful in here. So thank you, Calvary, Pastor Mike. And getting to cast some vision around what we believe is the next step for our church. I'm so grateful uh, for that opportunity to just share what God was doing and the people that were there. And then to see kind of the huge jump start. So let me cheat it a little bit because we're going to kind of come into a little bit of a vision season because God's doing some amazing things. Let's go back in time to May, okay? Let's just go back. Let's go further. Let's go back to April when our church began to say, you know what? I think we need to pray about opening back up. We need to start having churches. We started to see some things weren't adding up in the narrative, all right? There were just some things that weren't adding up, so we began to pray, began to seek godly wisdom, and we decided, hey, we're going to start having church, and let's start it in a parking lot. We'll do outdoor drive-in church services, even though the county didn't even want us to do that at the time. 
And, and we can get upset the fact that you could go to Costco and park right next to a car and sit there as long as you wanted, but you couldn't do the same thing during a church service. Uh, it just, there were some things that weren't quite adding up. But our church was one of the first churches to say, hey, we're going to step out and we're going we're gonna to have church. And I know many of us, we all wrestled with that. I wrestled with that. I know many people wrestled with that. There are some of you that are viewing online. You're still wrestling with it. But I want to encourage you. Because one of the places that we called, I was just looking for a parking lot. So I began to make some phone calls back in April and May, just seeing if I could rent a parking lot from somebody. And, uh, you know, there's a long Monterey Highway. You just see all those open fields. I was like, fine, we'll put up a tent in a field, and we'll just meet out in the field. That's, we got generators. We'll, we'll run some porta potties We'll just make it happen in some field. So I just began to call people, and there's a little website called LoopNet. So I just started calling, cold calling people. Nothing ever came of it, and, which has led us to here. A week and a half ago, actually two weeks ago now, my wife and I on Friday, right before Thanksgiving, I, the week before Thanksgiving, I get a call on my cell phone. I don't recognize the number. And I get a phone call from somebody and says, hey, uh, do you remember me? We spoke about four or five months back. Are you the church that's looking for a building? And I said, yes, we are that church. And he said, well, I've been trying to find a church that's open, and, and none of the churches are open near me. Nobody's available. I need to talk to a priest. Now, are you a priest? And I was like, well, not necessarily, you know, but I know the great high priest. How about that, you know? So uh, does that count? And uh, so, so we got to chat. We chatted for a little over 45 minutes. And, and then he said, are you still looking for a building? Because he was more concerned with what's happened in his heart. He knows is there's something missing. And the man needed Jesus. That's ultimately everyone's need is to know Jesus as their Savior. And so after that phone call, we then began to meet because he said, I think I've got some property that your church might be interested in. I was like, man, yeah, we're interested in anything. We're interested. So he takes me out to a property, and it's 20 acres. It's between um, South San Jose and Morgan Hill off of Monterey. And, and I went out there, and it it's huge. 20 acres is massive. And I don't, I don't know much about land. There's still some hurdles. I'm, I'm not here to tell you, hey, God just gave us a building. We got land on it. We don't have to do anything else. God bless you. That's great. Next week, got the keys. No, I don't have that. But here's the cool part about the whole story is that man had attended our church two weeks ago. He came to the Vision Gala on Friday. And we don't know what the future is, but let me just share with you what he's been sharing with me. He said, hey, I wanted to sell the land for $2 million to the church. After the vision gala, he said, how about we take a million dollars off that property just by attending the vision gala? I'm just like stepping back and like, that's pretty incredible. I don't know if that's the place. I'm not here to say you, hey, we signed the paperwork and I just, man, this is a done deal. But then somebody that night as I was sharing that story, they said, hey, wait, it's 2020 and he has 20 acres. How cool is that? Like, you just, you just, isn't God just cool? Like, if that really works out, that would just be awesome. I mean, it's 2020, and everybody's freaking out. And it's, oh, it's a bad year. But it would just be kind of cool that on top of 2020, it'd almost be like we planned it. It was almost like we planned it. We may not have, but God did. But here's what I go on to go back to. God is opening some doors, and I know there's more hurdles. There's a hurdle that, that's agricultural land. You're not supposed to put a church on it, but yet a church can petition to change the zoning. They, they will allow that, whether they grant it or not. That's to be unknown. We don't know. So there's some, there's some things we've got to look into. He's got a legal battle because the county, like they're suing us, they're suing him as well because he's parking trucks on, on the land. 
And so there's some legal battles, there's some challenges, we don't know. And I don't know the future, but the vision gal, we began to share some of the things and God began to open some doors because he texted me on Saturday and said, there's something different about the church and I wanna help the church fulfill its dream. I wanna help the church in some way. And I don't know what that looks like, but God is opening doors. But let me tell you why God is opening the doors. Because you guys decided to step through in faith saying, we're gonna meet as a church. Because if we would have just said, no, we're going to meet online, that person would never have called us because I never would have called him. So do you see sometimes when, when you just step out and say, God, I'm going, to, I'm going to go out in faith. I don't know what's going to happen. That God is there to honor it. That God is there to move. And so there are some things that God is up to. And at the Vision Gala, we begin to talk about these things. And next week, we're going to take a pledge card. And I hope on the way in, you all were able to receive a pledge card. Because the group that gathered, what we did is we started praying about our commitment. Because I believe in 2021, God wants us to move forward into either purchasing some property or purchasing a building. And there's some financial things to be ready for when God opens that door. Now, we shared on Friday night, and I'll share it here. We are, in a sense, ready. Now, do we have a building? No. But could we afford a building? Yes, we can finally afford a building. We could. Now, we're praying at where's the right place, where's the right timing. So there's some, there's some things to pray over, but we're ready to take that next step. But we want to make sure financially that we don't spend all of our uh, resources to put down on a building that we can't maintain it and make a mortgage payment, or if there's a property, we'd like to be able to pay off the land in cash, and then phase by phase, you build up in cash, so then you do it debt-free. Uh, the Bible says that the borrower is servant. The word servant is the Greek word doulos, meaning slave, to the owner. And I don't think God's people want to be a slave to anybody. I don't think we need to. So taking a little bit more time thinking through how we could do that. So that's what we began to share. But what we're trying to do is we're using these cards saying, God, what, what would you have me to be a part of? And so there were 63 people that said, hey, we want to be a part of what God is doing in moving forward in 2021. And so we took a commitment card. If you received one, I hope you pray about it this week because next week we're going to take our end of the year offering and we're going to look at our forward offering. And maybe you say, hey, God put a one-time amount. So my wife and I, we pray about a one-time amount and then a monthly amount that we want to give over and above our tithes and offerings. We say, here, Lord, we want to be a part of a one-time offering, and then we want to on on, add it into our budget what we can give monthly. And so that's one of these things where I would love for you to take a card. And maybe you're a student, maybe you're a college student on a, on a fixed income, and maybe for you, $5 a week may be a big sacrifice. Can I tell you, God honors a $5 a week sacrifice just like God would honor a $500 a week sacrifice. You see, it's not equal giving, it's equal sacrifice. It's saying, hey, I want to have a part in bringing something to the Lord. And so I would love for you to take a card, pray about it this week, and then next week what you'll do is you will, these cards are perforated. So you'll fill out one portion to keep that, to remind you of your commitment. The other commitment, you'll drop in the offering. Now, here's what's exciting. Uh, We met with the trustees, and our prayer is this year to raise $1 million. Now, you say, that's exciting? That that seems like a big number, okay? Uh, I know it does seem like a big number, but let me encourage you. 
In 2017 or 2018, when we did our first vision gala at Emperor Norton's, was anybody there at good old Emperor Norton's? They're gone, but a few of us were there, and it was at Emperor Norton's, okay? At that vision gala, we raised uh, less than 100000 but that was big. Our goal that year was to raise 250000 That was our goal, all right? This year, at the vision gala alone, we've committed and pledged 257000 Isn't that amazing what God did in just one night? It exceeds the entire goal of what we had set three years ago. So I know a million dollars just seems like, how could we do that? Understand that God is working and preparing. So we're going to pray and get in step with God, and he will start clearing things. He'll start working some things. You're looking at some things happening in the economy that I feel bad for business owners that now look like they're losing their businesses. But what it does is it lowers the cost of some of these commercial buildings and properties. So it could be God's opening a, 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 a door for us. You say, where's this going? Is this with the message? Yeah, it's going to get there. Just stay with me just a little bit longer, okay? Here's what's amazing, all right? I shared with that the vision gala that that. A year ago this time, we only had $428,000 in the bank. In one year's time, even though we had COVID, even though we had all the outreach, we have our missionaries that are in the Philippines, South America, and China, and India. Even though we have those, we have our local partners. We work with Foster the Bay. Even though we had all those partners that we financially give to every month, our church did not neglect giving every month to our missionaries. We also didn't neglect our responsibilities. Uh, we took care of the staff. We also, at the same time, were able to save. You say, how much were we able to save? We were able to save $580,000 last year. So our account more than doubled. So to see what God did throughout COVID, where we still gave, gave out. So you say, well, a million dollars looks like a lot. You know what? It does, it does sound like a lot, and it's, it's a great matter of faith, but it's 400000 more than what we saved this past year. So I believe that God can do it, and as we look back, we just say, all right, Lord, we're just going to take that step because I believe God is going to honor our faith. And I don't know what the future holds, but when I hear stories like a Jason Wang just saying, hey, how can I help you guys? as he's in legal disputes, it helps me because right now it's very tempting to say, I don't want to go forward. That's the temptation. Because right now, a lot of people are asking themselves this question, what's next? Because as you look at the news, you look at the health crisis, you look at everything you're going around, moving forward just seems like, no, that's not what I want to do. Sometimes it's more tempting to say, no, I just want to stay somewhere where it's safe. I want to sit and I want to wait because all of us are thinking, when will things just go back to normal? I mean, that's what I feel. When will it all just go back to normal? We need to change it to that we need to start looking forward to normal. That we're looking forward to something. I love, and I share Jeremiah 7, verse number 24. It says, yet they did not obey or incline their ear, but followed the counsels and the dictates of their evil hearts and went backwards and not forwards. I'm praying that our church would move forward in this season. I'm praying that we would move forward. I love what the great missionary David Livingston said, I will go anywhere so long as it is forward. That that's the mission of our heart. That we say, you know what, we are going to move forward in this season. That we don't look back and say, you know what, we have a lot of regrets. But how do we move forward? How do we not get 
stuck. And I'd love to turn our attention to the book of Genesis chapter 26. If you can go there with me in your Bibles, Genesis chapter number 26. This is a passage I was actually just studying and came across this morning. And God put it on my heart. And I want to share just some things. This may not be the most organized message, to be honest. But I hope there's some things that encourage you as we start praying and looking towards forward. Notice, if you would, verse number one. And there was a famine in the land. You know what a famine is? There's lots of reasons for a famine. In this day and age, it can be because there was no water, so you couldn't grow the crops. If you can't grow the crops, you can't feed your families. Another reason is because there could have been war that ravaged the land, and when there's war that ravages the land, there's no food. These warring tribes take all the food, take all the resources. Also, there could be a pandemic that can lead to a famine, where, yes, there's a harvest out there, but everybody's sick. Nobody can go reap the harvest. So you can, you can have a famine for those reasons. You can have a famine because it could be similar to what we experienced here in California with the wildfires that just raged through. There's all different types of reasons for a famine, but let me just put it to you like this. It's bad. It's so bad that Isaac, who we're going to meet, is going to want to leave that area and go somewhere else where there's some food, where there's some resources, Some of us, we get on Zillow and we say, I wonder what Idaho's like. I wonder what Tennessee. I wonder what Texas. Hey, Florida doesn't sound bad. You know what? Where's another country? You know, I mean, it sometimes just looks comfortable to just say, I want out of California, right? And so here, the first thing opens up, and you and I can relate. There's a famine in the land. Besides the first famine that was in the days of Abraham and Isaac, went unto Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar. And the Lord appeared unto him and said, Go not down into Egypt. Dwell in the land which I shall tell thee of. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For unto you and unto your seed I will give all these countries, and I will perform the oath which I swear unto Abraham your father. And I will make your seed to multiply as the stars of heaven, and will give unto your seed all these countries. And in your seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Because that Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws, and Isaac dwelt in Gerar. The men of the place asked him of his wife, and he said, She is my sister, for he feared to say, She is my wife, lest he said, The men of the place should kill me for Rebekah, because she was fair to look upon. And it came to pass when he had been there a long time that Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out at a window and saw, and behold, Isaac was sporting with Rebekah, his wife. And Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold, of a surety she is thy wife, and why sayest thou she is my sister? And Isaac said unto him, Because I said, lest I die for her. What a great husband. I don't want to die for her. Like, I really love her, but that old death thing, till death do us part, mm, I don't know. Not a great role model for husbands. Not a great romantic move. Verse 10, And Abimelech said, What is it that thou hast done unto us? One of the people might lightly have lined with thy wife, and thou should have brought guiltiness upon us. And Abimelech charged all his people, saying, He that touches this man or his wife shall be surely put to death. Then Isaac sowed in the land and received in the same year an hundredfold. And the Lord blessed him. And the man waxed great. And went, what's the word, church? Forward. 
I look at this and I think, this is incredible. Because I want you to see, first of all, this starts off in he sows into the land. Let me ask you a question. If you're in a famine and food is scarce, the last thing you want to do is take that seed and sow it. Because you might need that seed to survive. It would have been real tempting to say, no, I need to withhold this. But what does it say that Isaac does? It says that he's going to sow some seed. But notice when he sows the seed. Then Isaac sowed in that land and received in the same year. The same year as what? The same year as the famine. I think when we come to difficulty like a famine, and a famine can represent so many things like we said earlier. It can represent the fact that there is sickness. It can represent that something did destroy your resource. It could represent that there is dryness, that there's no spiritual health and vitality. All of a sudden, there's this famine, and it's real easy in a famine to not want to move forward. But what is Isaac doing? He's saying, I'm going to sow in that season. And what does God do in response to his sowing? He reaps. Can anybody tell me how much does he reap? Is it 50, 60, 70? Say it with me, church. It's a hundredfold. But when did he receive that hundredfold? The Bible says in the same year. Here's what's powerful about that. Let me ask you a question. Is 2020 over? I believe what God wants to tell you is that some of you have said this year has wiped out like a famine. It's just come through like a famine in my life. And I don't know if I'm going to receive a harvest this year. Isaac did. And that's what's insane. Because it doesn't say that anybody else received a harvest, but it says that Isaac, in the middle of a famine, said, I'm going to sow into this. Because write this down if you're taking notes. God doesn't grow it unless I sow it. And so Isaac's come to a season that says, you know what? It'd be real tempting to hold on to everything because this is a scarcity mentality. I'm going to save this so I can survive. But God said, no, no, no. I don't want you just to survive. Sow it and I will bless you, but I'm going to bless you a hundredfold and not next year or the year after, but this year. We've got three and a half weeks left in 2020 and some of you are counting down the days. I just can't wait till the year's over. But some of us should be saying, maybe tomorrow there's a harvest that's going to come through because I've been sowing good seed. Maybe next week the harvest will come before the end of the year. Maybe the marriage will turn around. Maybe the job will turn around. Maybe the neighbor will get saved. Hey, maybe there'll be more Jason Wangs that'll say, you know what? I'm going to step up and help the church get to a place they never thought that they would reap this year. They're looking to 2021, but it could be that God says, no, no, I'm going to bring the harvest this year. And so we as a church have a responsibility to be an Isaac and say, you know what? I'm going to sow right now. But I also like the fact that he says he sowed in that land. A lot of us, when we go through difficulty, we want to look for a better land, don't we? The marriage ain't going so well, let me find somebody else, a better land. The job isn't so good, let me find a better land. Hey, the church doesn't look so good, they want to raise a million dollars, let me find a church that's already got a property. Let me go somewhere else, it isn't trying to raise no money. Let me go find a better land. The Bible says that he sowed in that land. He didn't leave. The famine was in that land. He was on his way to Egypt where there wasn't a famine. Instead, he stays in the land. Sometimes the greatest thing we do is to stand firm while moving forward. And that's hard. To say, I'm moving forward, but I'm also standing firm. 
that God has called me to do something, but right now I've got to stand firm because I want to move. And God specifically says, don't go to Egypt. Don't, I know what you want to do. Why would God say, don't go to Egypt? Because Abraham got in a lot of trouble when he went to Egypt. That's where the Bible tells us that he met a handmaid named Hagar that he brings with him. And later we see that there was all kinds of trouble because he went to Egypt. For a child of God, Egypt in the Bible always represented the place of sin. It always represented the downward spiritual spiral of a person. And God doesn't want us to live in Egypt. He wants us to live in the promised land. Egypt represents bondage and sin. And God didn't want that for his child, for Isaac. So he tells Isaac, hey, I know there's a famine, but here's what's also amazing. Not only was there a famine, but Isaac failed. Let's just call it out. The guy tells everybody, my wife is actually my sister, so I, nobody will slice my throat or kill me and steal my wife. That's, that's not a really good move. It's, 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 hey, when we go traveling, we take off the wedding ring and hide it when we travel on business trips. It's, it's things that we know that we, we, should, we should be a, a stronger testimony. So here you have a man that's gone through a famine. He's failed but he's still going to move forward. How does that happen? How does he do that? Because that's the question that I'm wrestling with. Because God blesses this person. And I want you to, first of all, to see this place of prosperity. This place of prosperity was an unlikely place, is it not? And maybe right now you say, man, I would sure like some prosperity, but I'm just, I don't know if it's here. Maybe i got to do something else. Maybe i got to go somewhere else. But I love the fact that God blessed him right where he was. That God blessed him a hundredfold. Verse 13, the man waxed great and went forward and grew until he became very great. Let me go back for a second. Abraham was extremely wealthy. He was a nomadic tribesman who had herds. He had so many herds, so many servants, that his nephew Lot, earlier in the book of Genesis... They were fighting over resources. They had to separate because each of them were so wealthy they couldn't travel together. There wasn't enough resources to sustain both of them. So when Abraham dies and there's Isaac, it wasn't like Isaac was left with nothing. Isaac was a trust fund baby, if we can. He was independently wealthy. But the Bible says that he still sowed because he still wanted to reap something on his own. He still wanted to build something. Here's a person who doesn't have to, but yet he is. Here's a person saying, hey, I'm going to build something. And God says, hey, I'm going to grow that until you become very great. So there's this place where the blessing was because he decided, I'm going to sow in that season. Notice this. Isaac didn't wait until he got something to give something. And some of us do that, don't we? Well, God, if you do this, then I'll do this. That's conditional. Aren't you glad that God doesn't work like that? You see, that is the Old Testament way. That is the old, under the old covenant. We would bring a sacrifice to God to atone for our sins. Then God gives us forgiveness. God gives us the forgiveness because Jesus Christ paid the ultimate sacrifice. He shed his blood on the cross. So God just freely gives to you and I the gift of salvation. But yet we come back to God and we want to move back into this, this old contract. 
where it's like, God, you do for me and I'll do for you, but you better show up first. You see, he wasn't going to live his life that way. Isaac said, no, I'm going to do things differently. God, I'm going to give to you and we'll see what you do. And so that was Isaac's mode. He said, I'm going to give to God. And instead of waiting to receive, then I give. Our relationships with our spouses, with our friendships, with our coworkers will grow exponentially in the coming weeks, months, and years. If we're the type of person that says, hey, I'm going to give first because we remember it's more blessed to give than to receive. And we say it to our kids. We're taught it. But when it comes to God, we kind of act like it doesn't exist. And so here we're learning from Isaac that he didn't wait till he got something. It's a harvest. And then Isaac, he reaps because he decided, I'm going to give. I'm going to give. But then something happens. Let's turn our attention to verse number 14. Bible says, for he had possessions of flocks and possession of herds and great store of servants and the Philistines envied him for all the wells which his father's had servants had digged in the days of Abraham. His father, the Philistines had stopped them and filled them with earth. And Abimelech said unto Isaac, go from us for thou art much mightier than we are. Something happens. They begin to get envious of Isaac. Now, how great is Isaac in this passage if he's mightier than the king? If he has more uh, servants and more wealth and more warriors than the king does, this guy's doing pretty good. And the king is intimidated by him. The king, the Bible says, is envious of him. It's amazing that the moment you and I decide that we're going to live for God and we're going to serve God and all of a sudden a little bit of blessing comes our way, we start to say, I'm going to do things differently. There are some people that get a little bit envious because write this down, God's favor isn't fair. God sometimes will pick somebody out of a crowd and say, you are following me, I'm going to give you my favor. And everybody else kind of say, how did they get God's favor? How, why, your kids ever do this? Why does she get that? Why did he get the last cookie? Why did he get the rest of the ice cream? That's not fair. We see it in the church too. Parking lot greeters. Oh, how do they afford a new car? Man, I don't, I don't think they should have a new car. They should drive a hoopty like I drive a hoopty. Matter of fact, probably be more spiritual if they drove a car like I drive. Like, we, we, we feel like to, to, to have, have problems in our life makes us more spiritual. If we're not careful, it can make us envious. You see, something began to well up on the surface of this king. And here's what's interesting. They should have followed Isaac's example instead of being envious of him. And you and I, we can look at coworkers, church family, relatives, and we could start to get envious of them instead of following their example. Isaac is leaving us an example that we sow in a season of suffering, that we give, that we sow first, that we say, God, I want your blessing on this. So how do I get your blessing? I want to give first so that God can do something with it. You see, Isaac's prosperity, it prompted a problem. What was the problem? People were envious of him. And so to get back at him, they wanted to cut off the source of his wealth. What was the source of his wealth? It's a famine. How can you take away a nomadic tribesman's wealth? 
by killing his flocks because his flocks need something to survive. Something more valuable than food in the desert was water. So if we cut off the source of his water, if we cut off the wells, he has no more wealth. So they went back to the wells that his father Abraham dug and they filled them in with dirt. Bible says they filled it in with earth. They began to pour stuff into the wells. And you and I, we have a well as well. We talked about it two weeks ago. That when Jesus is inside of us, it's a well springing up unto life everlasting. And so you're going to find that there are going to be people that they see you being blessed, and they're going to want to put junk in your well. They're going to see that you're upbeat. They're going to see that you're blessed. They're going to see that. Man, you guys are really trying to reach San Jose for Jesus. There's going to be some people wanting to poison your well, throw some junk in your well. They wanted to throw some dirt in the well. They wanted to fill it in. They wanted to stop up and plug the well. But in spite of all of that, notice Isaac does something. Bible says in verse number 17, And Isaac departed thence and pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar. And dwelt there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water, which they had digged in the days of Abraham, his father, the Philistines, that had stopped them after the death of Abraham. And he called their names after the names by which his father had called him. And Isaac's servants digged in the valley and found there a well of what kind of water? Springing water. It was an old well that a generation before had dug but it still had new water. You see, the God of my fathers and my forefathers is the same God yesterday and today, but guess what? He says, my mercies are new every morning. God says his blessings are new. So you may come from a long line of Christians and you say, well, that you trust and you believe in that old God. Well, guess what? That old God is beyond time. He's outside of time. So to call him old is actually just a figment of mankind, but not God. God lives outside of time. He always has been. He always will be. And he says that it's new. It's fresh it's springing water so right now it may seem like you're going to go back to some old wells it may seem like a time where you say you know what I'm going to go back to some things so I'd love for you to write this down that he remembered where the wells were you see when you come to a famine you need to remember where's the well when you come to a dry season you need to remember where are the scriptures that spoke to my heart when you come to a dry season you need to remember where are the stories that encourage my heart and soul when you come to a dry season when a famine you need to remember there's a place that I can go to that there's a Bethel that there's a place that there's a house of God you need to come back to a place where you say that's where God spoke to me that's where God restored me see he remembered And his memory saves his life. His memory. But let's be careful about memories. Because God doesn't want you to live in memories, but God wants you to live in destiny, forward thinking. Some of us always want to just live in memory, in the past. But moving forward is not about living in the past. It's about saying, God, where are the new wells? God, there was this well, and it worked well. It was a good well. We did that. I grew up in the day and age where we used to knock doors and invite people to church. I don't know if you ever did that. We would knock doors, and we would tell people. Matter of fact, seven years ago, I was knocking doors to invite people to a grand opening for our church. We knocked over 25,000 homes inviting people to church. And on the first Sunday, I was thinking, 25,000 homes, if I could just get a 2% return on that. I didn't even get half a percent return on that. We had 57 people show up, and I was like, 
Man, that was a lot of doors. That was a lot of hours. It was eight hours a day. And it just go and go and knocking on doors, knocking on doors. I also went to a church where we had old buses and we would drive through the neighborhoods and we'd pick up people and invite them to church on a rickety old bus. I'm surprised we didn't get sued. And we'd have special Sundays like Hot Cheeto Sunday. And you would come to church and we'd give you free Hot Cheetos. We'd also have Goldfish Sunday where if you rode the bus on that Sunday, we gave you a free Goldfish. And we called the leader of that group a bus captain. And the bus captain was really crazy, might swallow the goldfish for your entertainment. It had nothing to do with Jesus. It was just entertaining. Those were old wells that worked for season. They don't work so much now. But there are some wells that we need to draw on. We say, you know what, God, the word still works. Fasting still works. Prayer still works. The church still works. Small Bible studies still work. The one-on-one telling people about Jesus, that still works. Those wells still refresh. Those wells still have power. Those wells will still work. If I'll just get back to the word, because this is a wellspring of life. And if I'll just get back to it, it'll satisfy You see, this well, it didn't run dry. It was destroyed. What does the Bible say in John 10? That the devil, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He's after your well. He's after that place where you go and get life. That's what he's trying to choke out of your life. He's going after that place where you find your resource because he wants you to go through a famine and he wants you to die in that famine. That's what Satan wants for you. So you and I have to know that that's what he's after. He's after that source. He's trying to take that well from you. But God helped Isaac remember where the well was. But then not only that, he repented. Verse 17 and verse 15 and 17 says he departed. He had to change his direction. He had to change his direction. The word repent means to change your mind. He thought, I'm going to go to Egypt. I'm going to go down there. I'll be fine. I'll ride out this famine. And God says, no, no, don't you dare go down to Egypt. Don't you go, dare go down to the place of bondage, the place of sin. Don't go that. You need to repent, change your mind. And he says, okay, let me change my mind, and I'll go somewhere else. And he had to repent of some things. You know, sometimes people will clog the well. Because well has dirt in it. Sometimes you might be like me. And we get our own wells dirty. We contaminate our own wells. We put junk in there. Sin in there. Nobody else did it. Spouse didn't do it. The kids didn't do it. The job didn't do it. The church didn't do it. We did it to ourselves. Sometimes we pollute our own wells, don't we? Sometimes we got to come before God and just in our brokenness and humility and say, God, I did it again. God, I'm a weak, sinful person. I'm ashamed. And God, this week, can you look at what I did? I made a mess, God. Man, when we first got our husky, she would make a mess everywhere. You couldn't leave that dog alone for a minute because just making messes everywhere. And if you didn't see a mess, well, you better move some furniture because there's a mess somewhere lurking. And you won't find it till a few days later. And by then, it'll be so bad, you're going to want to put a for sale sign on the house and move. And sometimes we do that to our own lives, don't we? I'll be honest, it happens to me more often than I care to admit. Where I can't blame even the devil. I wish, I wish that every time that Micaiah Ermler screwed up that I could blame it on the devil. That would make my life so much easier. At least then I could say I'm the victim. But can I tell you what? My son asked me something really powerful the other day. 
<laughs> he always is saying such truth. He was like, when's the last time you gave in to the devil? And I was like, well, I try not to. And he's like, man, I do it like 10,000 times. Happens all the time. He's like, not that I want to. And I was like, that honesty, because that's the truth of it, isn't it? But then the reality is that we just love sin sometimes, and we just go after it and just disregard all, all warnings, all sin. We just want that sin. It's just our mind is just set on it. And sometimes if we wanted God as much as we wanted our sin, we would be a saint, and we know it. But man, sin has that allure. The Bible talks about the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Same sin that started in the Garden of Eden. It's the same sin that got Satan himself. It's the same sin that's been slain some of the greatest Christians throughout history. And it's our sin. And sometimes we pollute our own wells, that our own source. And we're the ones that we couldn't blame it on, on, on the Philistines dumping dirt in there. We dump dirt in there. The Bible says earth. Later on, Jesus will talk about it's the cares of this world that choke out the life. Sometimes it's not sin. Sometimes it's just this world, the things we put in there. It's the bills. It's the stress of the relationship. It's health. It's busyness. It's the holidays, and it's supposed to be shelter in place, and we're still busy. We're like, how am I so busy? Y'all not supposed to be doing nothing. It's shelter in place. supposed to stay home and do scrabble. Not even supposed to be shopping. I go to Costco, and there ain't nothing in Costco. Not even toilet paper again. I was like, really? You guys survived the last toilet paper shortage just fine. But all of a sudden, we're freaking out about toilet paper again. And the cares of this life, we, we put it in there, and we pollute it. You say, Pastor, well, what do I do about that? What do I do with the pollutants? The Apostle Paul was talking to the church in Corinth, and he says, Oh, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do you not be deceived? Neither the sexual, immoral, idolaters or adulterers, nor men with practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. That list right there hits me in the heart because it hits all of us. And then he says, and such not are some of you, but past tense were some of you. And then he says this, but you are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That you may this week, like I have, polluted your own well and you can come before the great Throne of grace and say, God, it's me. I messed up. I need forgiveness. And God looks down and says, I can, I, can, I can take care of you. I can wash you up. I can clean you. I can sanctify you. I can justify you. And I can make it as if it never happened. Because that's how good our God is. That's how much he loves us. So no matter who did what to your well and when, God says, I can take care of it. If you will simply say, God, clean this up. But there's something else we need to notice about the well. You know, sometimes we get mad at our own well, don't we? We get mad at our well. We look at the well and say, well, why aren't you producing something in my life? I mean, you're a well after all. Why isn't anything happening? 
And sometimes we look at things in our life and we say, hey, this should produce something. But can I remind you that a well never produces anything? It only provides everything. And there's a difference. The well is there to provide, not produce. Follow me. Notice the scripture verse, chapter same chapter, verse 22, and he digged another well, and for that they strove not, and called the name of it Rehoboth, and he said, for now the Lord hath made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. What is he talking about? Now we're going to be fruitful because of this well. You would dig a well, and then from that well you could pump water, and you could see it as if you would drive down Monterey Highway. They, dro- they dig these little furrows, and they have these little pipes that run down, and then as the water gets pumping, it goes down the furrows, and it irrigates the soil. So the well does not produce, it only provides. And some of us are looking at God and saying, God, how come you're not producing this how come you're not doing this and God said no 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 I provide you produce you sow it and I'll help you grow it and some of us are getting mad at the well and understand the well waters dirt the dirt can never water the well and some of us are trying to get the two mixed up and God said no no keep the well clean Keep the well clean because out of that can flow everything else. I can turn everything else around and I can make the rest of it fruitful. If you will simply say, God, help me in this season. But you want to know something? Something powerful? That wells, they do so much. You say, what do you mean they do so much? Wells are connectors. You say, what do you mean connectors? I'd like to see what a well connected anybody. Later on in this same book, you would see that Abraham wanted Isaac to get a wife. So Abraham sends his servant to go find him a wife. Abraham's servant finds a wife. Do you know where he found Isaac's wife? At a well. You say, that's interesting. That's cool. It's not the only one. Isaac's going to have a son. Son's name is Jacob. Jacob's going to run from his house. Jacob's going to go to his family's land. He's going to get to a well and start drinking. He's going to ask some shepherds, hey, who's that woman over there watering the sheep? And he's going to meet his wife, Rachel, at a well. It's not the only one. Moses running from Pharaoh, runs from Pharaoh. He meets his wife at a well. There are connections that happen at a well. God does some things because life begets life. And if your well stopped up, there's no life internally. There's no life externally. So we've got to keep the well clean because life begets life. The well needs to be clean so it can uh, allow for these connections. And some of you are saying, hey, how come there's no connections happening in my life? How come I'm not connecting with God? I'm not connecting with my spouse. I'm not connecting with my family. Because life begets life and the well's all stopped up and clogged. There's no life. It's dead. And God says, get the well clean again. Get the junk out of there because there's some great connections. That's not the only connection. Go to John 4. Jesus meets a woman at a well. Jesus loves to do some great things at a well. And right now, God's looking at you saying, how's the well? You say, it's dry. Well, now you have to be more careful because a place that was supposed to provide for you can turn into a prison for you. You say, what do you mean a prison? Where are you going with this? Fast forward with me, some of you Bible scholars. 
This man, Isaac's going to have a son. His son's name is Jacob. Jacob's going to have 12 sons. One of them's going to be named Joseph. Joseph's going to get a coat, coat in many colors. There's going to be a Broadway about it. And we're going to sing these catchy little songs about this Broadway with the song and, 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 and this jacket and everything. And the brothers, the other 11 brothers, they're going to be jealous of this younger brother because he got the coat. And this younger brother who's got the coat is also dreaming these dreams that he's going to have all his brothers and worship him. Well, the 11 brothers, they get mad at him and they said, let's kill him and let's throw him into a pit. Only it wasn't a pit. It was actually a dry well. Because in the Bible days, dry wells became prisons. And some of you are saying, my well's gone dry, Pastor. Yeah, I've been there. It's no longer a well. It's no longer a place it provides. What you have is a prison. And you're trapped. You could fast forward to the New Testament. They took the prophet Jeremiah and they wanted to throw him into prison and they throw him into a dry well. It was a common place for when a well dries up and makes a great prison, you can't get in, you can't get out. You can only, you can only get you in. They can only throw you down there and there's no hope. You're at that well and it's dry. Many of you, that's where you find yourself this holiday season. As we look at all the beautiful decorations, we look at people getting together and we say, man, I'm so dead and dry inside. And it's worse than that. It's actually turned into a prison of your own making. It's not Satan's fault. It's ours. Because fruit grows where water flows. And we want the fruitful life, but there's got to be the water. The water is the living spirit of God. And if you say, Pastor, I feel so cut off from God. Can I tell you I sympathize far more then you realize where you just feel you know you should be excited. You know you have nothing to complain about, but it doesn't matter if you get a raise, a new car. It doesn't matter if you win the lottery. It doesn't matter. All the good things can be happening around you, and you feel nothing. And because you feel nothing, you will do something dangerous just to feel something because you're so dead inside you'll go be with somebody you know you shouldn't be you'll do things you know you shouldn't do because what's happened to the well is it's no longer a place that provides it is now your prison and you are locked in this well and God is trying to speak to you say hey let's dig again the wells let's get in there and let's cleanse it because there is some water there that'll saturate there's some water that'll soften there's some water that'll do some work in our lives and God is saying right now I can make it rain in your life I can bring refreshing in your life but you've got to admit God this is now a prison it stopped being a well a long time ago and now it's turned into a prison and God I got to throw myself at your mercy and God says I got you because here was a man who repented and there was a man who said you know what I'm going to repeat and maybe that's what you need to do because the Bible says the word again. He dug again. If you feel like your well is now a prison, then you need to do some things that you used to do. Maybe there was a time that you fasted, you prayed. Maybe there was a time that you set aside where you say, hey, you know what? This may sound corny and cliche, but I need to take my Bible and my journal, and I take a long walk by the beach, and I need to get a glimpse of my God again. I need to see his face again. i got to meet with him again because I can't go in a dry season again. I won't survive a famine if I don't have a well inside of me. So right now, I need that well. I need that life because life begets life, and I don't have it right now. My well's contaminated. My well is dry, so I gotta repeat. I gotta go back to those things because Satan wants to contaminate your source with sin. 
And you and I have to be the ones that are stewarding the well. That's why it's so important that we have church. It's so important. It's so important we have God's word. It's so important that we have prayer. It's so important that we as a church, we say, you know what? There are other people that they feel right now that their well is a prison. And they are trapped. And they need a church who will build a home for not just this generation, but for generations to come. That that will be a place. I talked with a pastor three days ago. And he said, I couldn't tell you the last time we've seen a church campus built in the Bay Area. He said, it's been a long time. He's pastored here for over 25 years. And he says, it's been a long time. I'm going to pray with you that you get that. Because our area needs some fresh wells with some new water, some fresh fire and fresh anointing. We need a church with a fresh vision. A church that says, God has great things in our future future and though we might be small we might just be an Isaac and God says that's okay I'll start with one person and out of this family all the world will be blessed out of this one family it started with just one family and God began to multiply that seed God gave him 100 fold it could be that God says in the year 2020 in the year 2021 I'm going to multiply 100 fold but we've got to say God I'm going to deal with this well God, I'm going to get to you and I'm going to seek you. I'm not going to let anything contaminate it. Man, I I don't know if any of you ever traveled much, but I worked in Tennessee for a while. My wife did too. We worked at a Christian camp. And there's two things you need to know about the South if you never traveled in the South, and that's humidity and sweet tea. (laughs) And one of those is horrible, the other is delicious. The sweet tea is basically five pounds of sugar and a little bit of water. That's all sweet tea is. It's pure sugar. You feel your teeth disintegrating as you're drinking, and it's good. You know you're killing yourself, but it tastes great. Now, I know some of you say, well, I had Chick-fil-A sweet tea. I know what good sweet tea is. No, 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 you don't. The, the spoon needs to stand upright when you put it in your cup. That's when you know that's good southern sweet tea, okay? The spoon should not be able to fall over and hit the glass. When you, it should just stand up like it's in maple syrup or something. That's good sweet tea. We worked at a camp, and on average week, you would have 800 to 1,000 teenagers, and then you'd have over 200 staff members at the camp. And I would go into the kitchen. Remember, the humidity is terrible. Terrible. You get out of the shower, put your clothes on, and you start sweating again. And you, you just need another shower. It's just how life was. It was always hot. Man, I'd go into the kitchen. And because we had so many campers, we had the soda fountain, so there's constantly plenty of soda. But for sweet tea, they were always making it in the back. So they bought a 50-gallon kitchen-certified trash can. And I kid you not. They would add all this hot water in there because you need hot water to get the tea to activate. And they're just dumping bags of sugar. And then they had, they call them CORE. It's an acronym for these summer staff interns. It normally was a junior high to a high school teenage guy. And the camp was against the staff wearing shorts, so you're just hotter than blazes. And you're in this kitchen, and then they had this poor kid sitting over this tea. Now, he's pouring all the ingredients. It's hot water, and it's already hot because it's a kitchen. got burners, got everything going. So it's hot in there, hotter than it is outside. And then they give him this big old long pole. It's a spatula thing. It's industrial strength. And he's stirring this tea. And everybody's like, mmm, that tea at your camp is sure is delicious. And you just... Like, yeah, glad you enjoy it. You don't want to know how it's made because I went back there one day. Want to know their secret ingredient. I discovered what the secret ingredient to the sweet tea is. It's a 16-year-old acne-faced kid stirring over that tea. And every once in a while, you see a little splash. 
Yeah, that buddy, that's the secret recipe right there. Just stirring that in. That's what contaminates the tea. You don't want to drink that. We laugh. It's funny. But some of us are okay with just a little bit of contamination in our well. And Satan's like, if I can just get you to be okay with a little bit, I can sneak in a little bit more. And 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 one day you're going to wake up and you're going to look at the well you've been drinking from. Then you're going to think, what am I doing? You're going to be Luke 15, the prodigal son, who finally comes to himself and realizes he's eating the slop from the pigs. He's a Hebrew child. Hebrews were having nothing to do with anything unclean. And here he is, face plant into this hog slop, trying to stay alive. And some of us, we feel the exact same way. Eating at Satan's slop as he just mocks us. And God's saying today, you clean the well today you allow me to clean it because there's a reward there's a reward if we will let God clean it there's a reward if we let God do something in this God says hey I will bless you and I'll take care of you and I'm way over time let me share this last thing I know this message is all over the place I apologize notice you would verse 18 and Isaac digged again the wells of water which they had dug in the days of Abraham, his father. For the Philistines had stopped them after the death of Abraham. And he called the names after the names by which his father had called them. And I of his servants digged in the valley and found there a well of springing water. And the herdmen of Gerar did strive with Isaac's herdmen, saying, The water is ours. And he called the name of it Esek, because they strove with him. Esek in Hebrew means to strive. And they digged another well and strove for that also. And he called the name of it Sitna. Sitna means opposition. And then he removed from thence and digged another well. You know, there comes a point when you say, Pastor, I'm doing everything I can with this well. And I got all these enemies coming at this well. So I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to build me a wall to keep my enemies out. I'm going to build a wall because I don't want my enemies getting my water. I dug for that. I worked for this. This is mine. But Isaac doesn't build a wall. He goes and gets more wells. And right now, with so much tension in our country, with so much tension maybe in your family and your relationships, It's tempting to want to put up walls instead of digging wells. Because what is he doing? The only way to end the fast is to make sure that there's more resources. And if our God is an unlimited supply, then God has more than enough resources to take care of it. So Isaac says, you want the well? You can have the well. Oh, you want the other well too? You can have that well. And then finally, they come to the third well. And then he names it something. He names it something powerful, Rehoboth, which means an open way. It means that God has finally opened a way for us. As we move forward, God will open the way. The way was not open, but it wasn't until he moved that God opened it. Do you see? It wasn't until they put their foot into the Jordan River that that's when the river split. It wasn't until Peter stepped out of the boat that all of a sudden God made the way. So church, if you say, no, I'm not going to go forward, then God says, then I don't need to make a way. Do you get it, church? If we don't move forward, then why do we need a miracle? 
It's not until we say, I'm going to step and I'm going to dig another well and I'm going to do the work that God says, then I will make a way. I don't know what the future holds. I just know that when I say, hey, God, here's everything that I can give to the mission because I want to build a home for the future generations that has a school, that may have a college and ball field and may have a place for children to meet and may have a place for Bible studies and may have a place for worship teams and, and has a place to gather and worship and has our own campus on it and a place where we can bless this area. God, that's what I want. All of a sudden, God says, okay, you step out and I will make a way. But the word just doesn't mean just God made any way. It means he made a big way it means this word that we don't quite fathom it because uh, the English language is so narrow but the Hebrew language it had so many different facets to it uh, we can't quite grasp that God's saying hey this is going to be like a highway in the wilderness it's going to be like rivers in the desert is what he's saying and it's as you and I say you know what yeah I'll go forward and God says there we go I'll do the rest of the work he just had to dig. God delivered the water. The hardest part is always up to God. You and I just got to dig. And God says, I'll deliver. But we got to dig. Can we all stand? Heads bowed, eyes closed. Heavenly Father, so much to say, so little time. God, there are wells. There are miracles. There are prisons right now. Prisons of our own design, prisons of our own making. And we are trapped. And God, we look to you. We ask you to pour out your spirit. We ask you to refresh this dry, parched soul. That you would rain down your blessing from the dew of heaven. May it saturate our souls. May it bring the life. Life begets life, God. And Lord, we want to have a church that is a well springing up in the Bay Area so that all that are thirsting, they don't have to thirst for drugs and alcohol and pornography and relationships and money and success, that they can taste and see that the Lord is good. They don't have to try the occults. They don't have to try anything else. But they can come drink of the living water that flows from you, that flows from Emmanuel's veins, and they would taste and be transformed and saved, God. And God, that, that water is not just for the, the, the lost convert. It's also for the Christian who is dry and parched, who can come and drink of it and find renewal, who can find restoration. And so, Father, we lay our hearts bare before you. And we say, God, rain down from heaven. We receive your rain, God. Would you pour it out? All flesh is as grass, the word says. We are all as an unclean thing, God. And unless you step in to transform us, we need you. We need you to work in this moment. We want to move forward, but we don't see a way, but we are trusting that as we dig, you will deliver. And we are going to rest on that promise. Heads bowed and eyes closed. The worship team will sing, and we want to open up the altar. Maybe you want to spend some time just getting that stopped up well, getting that junk out. Or maybe you just want to pray and say, God, just rain down on me. 
Send your spirit, God. Send your refreshment, God. Send it now. The altars are open. You can come forward. Pray and seek the face of God because he wants to seek your face. Come back to him, child of God. Come back and be renewed and restored. Come out of the famine. Come out of the failure and go forward for God in the future that he has for you. Right now, would you come? We hope you were encouraged by today's message from Pastor Micaiah. If it was a blessing to you, don't forget to share it with a friend or family member this week. If you have any questions, we'd love to hear them. Get in touch with us by visiting SouthridgeSanJose.com slash connect. Again, that's SouthridgeSanJose.com slash connect.